TPN, welcome back to the Pilot Network Podcast. I'm Matt, the co-host of the show. Adam's out flying the line right now, but I am honored to be joined by Dave Hesseroon. Am I saying that right? Did I pronounce it? We, yeah. We practiced a little bit, but I'm uh, not sure <laughs> if I got the accent right. It's a silent J, right? <laughs> sure. Yeah. Well, welcome to the show. Thanks for being here. Yeah, my pleasure. Happy to be here. Thanks for having me, Matt. Absolutely. So Dave is an entrepreneur, former Air Force, and uh, is starting a, a new business called High Country Air Services. Actually, not that new uh, anymore. It's, that's relative. But uh, do you want to tell us a little bit about your background, just kind of where you came from, how you got to where you are? And, uh, and then we'd love to hear about what High Country is and, and what you're trying to build. Sure. Thanks, Matt. Uh, so I'm uh, Dave, career Air Force guy. Um, uh, mostly AFSOC, started out flying slick C-130s um, at Dias and then uh, went to Hurlburt, flew the gunship for about uh, seven, actually eight years, I think. And then um, school and staff, worked at Sockier, uh, finished out my assignment with a return to flying at uh, Cannon and uh, finished on the Dornier 328. Um, so, so Last assignment was uh, at Canon from 2014 to 2016, retired in 2016 and uh, moved to Albuquerque where I live now and had a, a pretty great job, uh, first civilian job out of the military running um, Honeywell's uh, flight test hangar here in Albuquerque and uh, got to fly lots of different airplanes, um, really got a great introduction to uh, general aviation, everything from Cessna 182 on the low end to, uh, you know, Citation 5 uh, business jet on the high end. So uh, that was great. Thought it was the forever job. Turned out uh, corporate had other plans and that uh, hangar was slated for closure. And that was just the kick I needed to help me start the um, business that I'd kind of been kicking around in the back of my mind for the previous 10 years or so. And so in 2018, I took the leap, uh, started working for myself, um, launched High Country Air Service. And uh, that's kind of where we are now. Um, we've been in business actively for about uh, two and a half years. It'll be three in August. And uh, we're an aviation services firm. So we provide uh, aircraft management and contract pilot services. Those are sort of our core businesses. And what that means is uh, we're like a turnkey flight department for um, uh, private owners or businesses who have their own airplanes and are either uh, too busy or not qualified to fly those airplanes themselves. So we'll step in and make sure the airplane that they have or they want to have gets all of the appropriate care and feeding that it needs. And then we'll, we'll fly it for them and fly them or their employees or their family members to wherever they need to be. Uh, we're in the midst of trying to grow the company to become a uh, charter service as well. But uh, as many of your listeners probably know, um, charter companies, just like uh, pilots, have to have their own licenses. So that you've got to have a charter certificate for the company. And we're in the process of acquiring one of those. Um, and that'll be kind of the next big step uh, for high country air service uh, once we acquire that. Oh, that'll be exciting. So are you operating part 91, part 135, or, or solely part 191? Nope. Right now? 
solely Part 91. And, um, you know, there's quite a bit that you can do under Part 91, but that's a really great distinction that you make. So, uh, you know, just so we keep the FAA happy, we are not holding out to the public for uh, service. So this is ex exclusively a private service for people who already own their own airplanes or would like to own their own airplanes. So this actually brings up a great topic. And one of the, the biggest reasons that I wanted to bring Dave on is because uh, so many of us who have former military experience, uh, maybe just a hair of general aviation before that. Um, and then we went into the Air Force or the Navy or the Army, what have you, and we flew within that bubble, that safety blanket, as it were, uh, of regulation and, and the Vol 3 and the Vol 1, and everything was very regimented and laid out for us. And, and uh, the scheduler put us on the schedule. We showed up, we flew, and, and we did everything, quote unquote, by the book, by the checklist, uh, with very, and many times those missions are complicated, they're challenging, we're doing uh, the kind of flying that most civilian aviators just dream of, right? But what it does not give us as military aviators is a ton of experience with, quote unquote, part 91, part 135, or even part 121 experience, uh, for that matter, until we retire and our commitment go out to the airlines or, or do other some some other sort of flying. So uh, in that, in that uh, context, do you mind just kind of backing up just a hair and give us a good definition, a broad overview for the military aviator on what part 91, part 135, and part 121, what the distinction of those is? Sure, absolutely. Um, so you, you laid it out in a really great way. 91, 135, and 121. That's a, those are three great categories to put everything in. And so I'm actually going to start at the back end, 121. That's pretty straightforward. So that's all mainline, you know, or uh, air carrier operations. So American Airlines, SkyWest Airlines, Southwest Airlines, th those are examples of 121 carriers, right? And, and many of the Listeners, as I'm sure, are aspiring to that in their future career, so they're pretty familiar with what that is, and obviously you are. Um, then 135 is a, a different bucket that's uh, charter, and so um, that is companies, uh, think of companies like uh, Wheels Up or NetJets or FlexJet uh, or ExoJet or JetLinks. So those companies will sell rather than in the most case, you know, 121 carriers are selling individual seats on a scheduled um, flight, you know, from A to B. The charter operator is going to sell a lot of times the entire airplane from A to B, but you as the customer get to pick what A and B are. And then, so th those are the two big categories there. And then down here at the other end, part 91, we have this really expansive category. It's so big, it's gone outside the frame of this podcast. So that's everything else. If it's not 135 and it's not 121, in general, with a few exceptions, it, it's part 91. And so that includes you going to your aero club, uh, say at Eglin Air Force Base, and you rent uh, an old T-41A from the Aero Club, you're going to fly under Part 91. Uh, or you uh, like that so much that you decide you're going to buy your own Cessna 172. And I know there's some, some great um, podcasts that you guys have developed on, you know, individual aircraft ownership. Well, that individual aircraft owner flying himself or his family around 
they're operating under Part 91. So that hopefully that kind of gives you guys the background of how these different buckets operate in the civilian aviation world. No, that's great. And it, it, that's one of those d- things that a lot of times, if you're not in the civil aviation space, you didn't come up through the regional airlines or, or doing some corporate flying. A lot of times we're very accustomed to uh, always operating IFR, always having a uh, flight manager or dispatch or a mission planning cell or something that goes and tells us what to do. Uh, but in Part 91 operations, the PIC, the pilot in command, is is all of those things wrapped into one. And so it's it's a very rewarding, very challenging, and sometimes complicated uh, thing that if you're not fully prepared to go out and do just because you've been flying big airplanes across the across the globe for the last 20 years does not necessarily mean you're you're ready to get uh, into a, a Cessna caravan and go do some backcountry or mountain flying or uh, you know go land a, a seaplane in Alaska or something like that that's not to say that you don't have the skills for that but those definitely aspects of um, seasoning and training and and building up those muscles that have either atrophied or uh, never got developed in the first place. And so I think uh, in some of the conversations you and I have had before, that's one of the things that is very interesting about what you're doing is you're essentially giving folks, pilots who have uh, in, in large part a military background, because that's where you came from, an opportunity to develop those skills. Do you want to tell us a little bit about the kind of flying that you do and um, kind of how that fits into a pilot's career at, or hypothetically sure. or in real world? Yeah, so um, that's a, a great question, Matt. Uh, and probably the best way to answer it is to talk about um, our new SkillBridge internship that we're offering. So um, before I get into the details of our company's program, um, all of DOD has a program called SkillBridge, which allows um, service members who are transitioning out of the military to spend up to the last six months of their time on active duty in an internship with a uh, civilian company or a civilian nonprofit. And uh, companies like me, now that I'm, you know, I'm retired, I'm on the other side of the fence, we apply to the Department of Defense to get approved as a SkillBridge internship provider. And I'm, I'm happy to say that, um, you know, we are approved by the Department of Defense to be a SkillBridge internship provider and uh, finishing up our individual uh, military service um, approvals for SkillBridge internships. So each of the services also has to approve you, the Navy, the Army, Air Force, et cetera. Um, so this, what we envision in our SkillBridge internship to be is just what you said. It is, uh, and just what the name implies, it's a bridge for, you know, a military aviator who has fantastic foundation of um, really great experience, great skills, stick and rudder skills, um, and uh, the, the technical expertise they have, but the familiarity with uh, the FARs they may not have. Um, like myself, for example, you know, I never could have afforded to um, get flying lessons as a civilian. I, I graduated high school and I went right into the Air Force. And um, thank God, you know, I had Uncle Sam uh, cover the cost of flight training for me. And so my prior to joining the Air Force, I think I had 
one flight in a Cessna 172 or 182, maybe when I was a teenager, it was enough to see, this is awesome. I totally want to do this. <laughs> and then I went off to the military for the next, you know, 24 years. And all, just like you said, all of my flying was inside that very nice, well-regulated, protected bubble. So that was uh, great. But along the way, I, you know, realized, hey, I want to share this skill, like with other people I know, my friends and my family members, and I can't, you know, the Air Force is generally unwilling to let me give them a ride in the C-130 or the AC-130 or the Tornado A-328. So I did what so many other people in the Air Force do, go to the Aero Club. And so I started flying, you know, these light general aviation airplanes. And that once I was checked out and able to do that, I was able to share the joys of aviation, you know, with friends and family members. And um, that kind of started me down the path of, you know, really or pretty early on in my military career of transitioning um, to become a, a civilian aviator uh, after I retired. And what I found over that that time period, and it was probably 15 or 20 years that I've spent you know, overall from the time that I got my first general aviation experience with an aero club to now. What I found is that um, the military experience that we have as aviators is really, really good because it shows you what right looks like. So you don't know any different, like the guy who's just been on active, like me, who had been on active duty from the time they were 18 until the time they were 40 or 42 years old, and you've never really flown outside the military, you don't know that it could be different and people could operate differently or in different ways. And so when I retired and I started doing a whole lot more flying under Part 91, I would always ask myself when I saw something new or uh, encountered something new in the corporate or the contract pilot context, uh, I would ask myself, well, what would the Air Force do? You know, what would Uncle Sam do in this situation? And, you know, if in that civilian context, I was being asked to do something, you know, kind of unsafe, like 17, 18 hour crew duty day as a single pilot, I would come back to the Air Force. And oftentimes, literally, I would pull out my old 11202 Vol 3 and look it up. And sure enough, it says in there, you know, single pilot crew day is 12 hours. I'm like, All right. Well, that's obviously not a good idea to go beyond that. But that experience is so crucial because the regulation under Part 91 is so minimal. So uh, we talked in the beginning of this podcast about 121 and 135. And the as you know, and many of the listeners know, the regulation in those buckets is really tight. And so the FAA tells the company what you can do, and then the company writes, you know, a pilot policy manual, or they have an ops manual or ops specs that then tell the air crew what they can do. And sometimes those policy manuals are even tighter than what the FAA will allow the um, crew to do. Well, Part 91, and imagine doing all of that flying and not having a pilot policy manual and not having all of the regulations under 121 and 135 that limit things like crew duty day or minimum visibility for takeoff. It's just, you have to have good judgment. And that's where that solid experience of having flown in the military, overseas, in combat, around the world, builds up that good judgment. So it's one of the reasons we're so excited about the SkillBridge program is because I can take seasoned aviators who've spent 10, 15, 20 years developing good judgment inside of this very tightly regulated bubble. And I can 
have them keep all of that experience and bring it into the Part 91 world and say, here are the very limited regulations that Part 91 is going to impose on you. Don't forget all of these things that you learned about good judgment when you were in the military. I want you to keep that because you're going to have to make those decisions yourself, as you alluded to. Matt, um, the PIC under Part 91 is all of those things. You're the dispatcher, you're the planner, you do the weight and balance, you load the passengers, you move the bags, and you fly the plane. And you got to be able to safely juggle all of those tasks. And having that previous uh, experience to build up uh, good judgment is so crucial to being able to do this piece um, safely and effectively. And, and all that is to say that there's a, a lot of fun flying that could be done part 91 as well, obviously, if, if that's the kind of the catch-all that it doesn't fit into those two very specific passenger-oriented uh, uh, aspects. I mean, it, things like mountain flying and, and backcountry charter and stuff like that, uh, not charter specifically, but owner-operator type stuff. I mean, um, it, especially when you're, you're helping a, an owner that maybe has an airplane that they're not they have the financial means as a high net worth individual, but not necessarily the, the skills yet to operate that aircraft. And so that's kind of when they come to you. Um, and it, essentially what you're doing is, is providing them with some pilots that have a plethora of experience, but want to gain some of their, of their own as well. And that, I think that sounds like a lot of fun. Absolutely. So what kind of airplanes are you guys using right now? And, and what kind of, owners are, are working with you? So uh, let's see, the, the kind of flagship of our fleet is, um, of our owner owned and uh, company flown fleet is uh, Piper M600. So it's single engine turboprop. If anybody uh, remembers way back in the olden times pre-pandemic at the last TPNX, uh, where you guys very kindly um, I put my slides up there, I introduced that with a little short video and there was an airplane behind me in that video, that was a Piper M600. So think of it like a mini PC12. So 6,000 pounds, max gross weight, 600 horsepower engine, uh, really uh, kind of a rocket ship and then beautiful Garmin G3000 avionics uh, on the flight deck. And then, you know, we also have clients with, uh, you know, Cessna 210, Piper Aztec, um, uh, Cessna 337, which is a really interesting airplane, the Skymasters, the old O2, for people who are um, old military airplane or warbird aficionados. Uh, and then we're hoping to bring online a uh, King Air 200 here in the next, probably later this year, that will be um, operating on behalf of an owner. So uh, really kind of the whole range of, um, of general aviation airplanes. That's great. And it's stuff that we don't necessarily have access to at the standard, you know, FBO where we're renting something to go out and have some fun or gain some experience or, or, or do anything that's shy of, uh, you know, a, a career at, at a 135 charter operation or even an airline at that point uh, with the 121 operations. You mentioned before the skill bridge program, and I think that is really interesting because every once in a while, the DOD gets something right, right? So um, it, this, this particular program is kind of like the career intermission program to where it's, it's, not, necessarily, it's not aviation specific. In fact, there, it, there are lots of different companies doing skill bridge and that sort of thing, but uh, your take on it from the aviation perspective, uh, what does that 
in your opinion, do for a pilot and, and what are some advantages and, and who's eligible for that? So great questions. So um, right now our program is open to uh, military aviators, primarily um, military pilots. So any of the services, if you're a pilot, you know, for the army or the air force, um, you're eligible to apply for our skill bridge internship. We do, we don't specifically exclude navigators uh, or CISOs, I think, as or WISOs as they're known now. Um, however, they would have to come to us with a fairly extensive um, civilian GA background already. Um, but our target market for SkillBridge are uh, existing military pilots who probably have great experience over the 10, 15, or 20 years that they've spent um, on active duty um, flying in the military, but may not be familiar with, um, uh, general aviation or civilian flying at all. I mean, if you, like me, came into the military when you were 18, you may have never had to crack open the far aim, you know, you just relied on AFMAN 11217 until just a few years ago when the Air Force got rid of it. And, um, if you, if that's your experience, we're here to be the bridge to help you learn about how these civilian regulations apply or don't um, as you fly general aviation airplanes. And so we can um, complement your very robust uh, military aviation experience with um, civilian GA uh, knowledge, and then kind of send you out into the world initially under the watchful eye of uh, some of our other company mentor pilots. And then eventually, if your skill bridge um, time with us is long enough, you know, we'll turn you loose to fly with clients in their airplanes uh, and get some really great um, firsthand experience of what it's like to operate um, as a civilian under Part 91 um, in GA. That's great. And it, it's the last, you're eligible the last six months of your commitment or prior to separating, correct? And it's a, it's a maximum of six That's months. Right. And, and how does that work? So I, I kind of know the answer to this question, but That's correct. How, how does the pay and benefits work and, and the internship versus uh, you being on an active status still and stuff like that? What, what does that look like for the aviator that's, that's quite frankly still on active duty? Yeah, actually, that, that's exactly right. They are 100% still on active duty, but uh, they're basically permissive TDY, uh, and the TDY location is our company, um, In at least in the, for the first few of these Skillbridge interns, it'll be right here in Albuquerque, New Mexico. We may expand to some other locations uh, throughout this year, but um, Uncle Sam is going to continue to pay you all of your pay and benefits. None of that changes um, all the way up until your very last day, the, you know, the day before you separate. You're still getting that paycheck from Uncle Sam. And actually, the skill bridge regulations that the DOD imposes on the companies prohibit us from paying you. So you have to get continue to receive your pay and benefits uh, from Uncle Sam. That's awesome. And so... Let's say someone, one of our listeners, is is interested in applying. Where, what's the first place they go? How did how did they apply for that? Did they contact you. Did they, so, they reach out through AFPC or something like that for the Air Force or the equivalent of any other services. Yeah. So um, obviously, I'm most familiar with the Air Force. There's an education and training office on every base. Um, 
that's where you would start to inquire about SkillBridge generally. And um, they should have some basic information about uh, my company. If you tell them, hey, I'm, I'm interested in doing a SkillBridge internship with High Country Air Service, they should be able to look us up in the DoD directory and give you some basic info. Uh, and then you can also uh, go to our website, the company website. It's highcountryairservice.com slash SkillBridge. And SkillBridge is all lowercase. And we've got some basic info there. Uh, there's a short, uh, real simple contact form. You can just put your email address in there, hit send, and um, we'll pick you up and, and get your info and kind of start the conversation. That's great. And we'll, we'll make sure there's some good links for that in the, uh, the show notes down below, just so uh, it's super easy to click on. You just get wherever you need to go. But no, I, I think it sounds like a really interesting opportunity for someone who wants to get uh, the last six months of their commitment. They, they're, they want to make that soft landing as, you know, pun intended into uh, some other type of flying or uh, the last six months of their commitment, you know, maybe they do some uh, permissive TDY uh, for house hunting and all that sort of stuff that you're afforded normally. Uh, and with the SkillBridge program really gives you an opportunity to try something different before you're outside of the comfort and protection of uh, active duty military service, which sometimes that transition can be a little bit daunting uh, it, because there, there's a lot of unknown and you're going from a very, uh, very secure job scenario into a, uh, a lot of unknown. And, and I think getting a experience in that realm for six months is uh, can be very valuable. Absolutely. I, I'm super excited about the SkillBridge program. I wish that um, it existed when I was uh, retiring. If it did, I, I wish I had, you know, dug more and found out about it. Um, but I'm stoked that I know about it now. And um, I, everything you said about that transition is absolutely true. It can be a challenge going from this very sheltered, enclosed environment in the military to, you know, you're an adult now and you're out on your own. Um, and I've been there and, you know, other pilots at high country have been there too, because we're primarily former military. And uh, we're just really happy and excited that we're able to help uh, some other guys behind us make that transition a little bit more smoothly using the SkillBridge program. Yeah. And, and quite frankly, it, the airline flying is not for everybody. It, it, it's a great job. It's, it's a phenomenal thing to aspire to. And, and being a, a part 121 airline pilot is uh, the least stressful thing that I've ever done a, as a career. However, uh, it, it is it is not exciting by design. <laughs> you do not want it to be exciting, uh, and and it's not for everybody. Some some people want to do a little bit more hands on. They want to experience a different type of flying, and there's absolutely nothing wrong with that. And that's one of the one of the biggest reasons we wanted to expose them to uh, what you're doing. And it, it sounds it sounds super interesting and and uh, a way to kind of cut your teeth and get that experience without uh, a ton of risk to, uh, you know, taking leaps of faith into, into career fields that you might not normally do. Absolutely. And, and this is uh, kind of the ideal skill bridge candidate is someone who might be on the fence between like, what do I want to do post military for my flying career? Do I want to be corporate or charter or military? And they're undecided we can give them, you know, up to six months to essentially try out uh, corporate, um, not charter yet, but uh, eventually, hopefully that as well. 
Um, and then decide, is this the kind of lifestyle that I want? And if so, great, you know, I, they can pursue that. And if not, that's great too. It's only six months uh, max. And then they can, maybe they go back onto the 121 path. Um, but they do so being far more informed about, you know, what they're leaving behind than just that fall off a cliff of the military and into civilian life. Yeah, absolutely. And, and even if the airlines are your goal, uh, many times they, they want recency of experience. They want you to have at a minimum 100 hours in the last year, sometimes more, uh, sometimes less, but not too often. Uh, and so do you have any restrictions on that or, or someone who has been staff in a staff position for the last three years? Are they, are they a good candidate for what you're doing? Absolutely. Actually, uh, it, I'm glad you mentioned that. Uh, an aviator who is on staff, which is highly common for someone who's been in the military for you know 12 or 15 years as an aviator, that's exactly the window where you are most likely to end up on staff. And usually it's a non-flying staff position. And we have no problem taking those um, candidates as applicants and then accepting them as uh, SkillBridge interns and they can come uh, get recurrent with us. You know, we have CFIs on staff that can take care of that. It's relatively simple and straightforward instrument proficiency check. And then, you know, they're back in business. Uh, and then the other thing that's great is that uh, because we share um, the same military flying background, um, we can kind of coach them through the recurrency as well as the transition process into uh, general aviation. Oh, that's awesome. I think that's a great opportunity. So yeah, for anyone who wants to get a hold of you, what, what's the best way to reach out, ask questions, uh, submit an application, other than the links down in the show notes, but what, what's the best way for sure. people to reach out to you? Uh, real easy email address, dave at hcast.pro, hotelcharliealphasierra.paparomeooscar. That's awesome. Well, thanks, Dave. Really appreciate all the uh, awesome info. And, and I, I think this sounds like a great program. I wish it had existed when I was getting ready to make that transition. It uh, that, that was just, that would have made that last six months a lot of fun and, I, and really opened my eyes to other opportunities. So I appreciate everything you do and I uh, hope to have you on the show again soon. Awesome. Thanks so much for having me, Matt. And uh, huge thanks to you and the rest of the TPN team for everything you guys do for the community. Absolutely. And if you want, as always, if you guys want to get a hold of Adam or myself, you can contact us at heyguys at thepilotnetwork.com. Uh, reach out to us on uh, social media. If you're part of PPN, you probably know how to do that. Uh, and as always, keep the shiny side up and the dirty side down. Fly safe, everybody. Yeah.